It is very good to be together today. It's always good when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ for the purpose of worshiping our God and praising Him in song and studying together from His holy, divine, inspired Word. We're glad that you're here this morning. As Brother Shane pointed out, we're especially thankful for those who are visiting with us. And we're especially today, maybe more than ever, uh, grateful for technology. Some of you are unable to be with us, but yet you're tuning in, you're live streaming, uh, maybe unable to be with us because of health reasons or because of the weather, and we're thankful to have you as well. Invite you to open your Bibles, if you'd like to, to the book of, uh, to the, to the, uh, book of Genesis, chapter 39, where we're going to read uh, here in just a moment or two. Genesis chapter 39, and we'll read there in just a moment or two. Glad to have you with us. We're talking this morning about the idea of what it means to be down and then to get back up. And there are times where we have to get up after having been down physically, uh, maybe where you haven't felt real well, and it's time to get back up on your feet after some sort of a physical illness. And there are some of you who are in that very process right now, and some who are unable to be with us because they're still working at getting back up. But of course, more importantly than the physical side of that is the spiritual nature of what it means to get up after being down. And I think about that subject, and I think about that with Genesis chapter 39, which is one of the most familiar chapters in all the book of Genesis. We are not going to read the entirety of the 23 verses of Genesis 39. I'm going to trust that you are familiar with what happened with Joseph and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. If you aren't familiar with that, you're welcome to go ahead and scan through those verses now or read them at your leisure sometime later today or this week. But you'll certainly get a picture of what's happening as we develop our story together today about getting up after being down. When you think about the life of Joseph, when you consider his life, Genesis 39 is not the first time that he has been down. There's been a lot of occasions for him to be depressed or for him to be a little bit discouraged or for him to be a little bit disenchanted with life and the things that it has thrown his way. Go back to chapter 37 where our scripture reading was from and we won't reread those six or seven verses that our brother read for us a few moments ago. But you go back to verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, and we see that he is envied by his brothers because of his father's favoritism. Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And it says in verse 3 that Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. There's so much that we can say about that. We covered that a little bit about a year and a half ago in one of our Bible classes. It says here that because he was the son of his old age, also he made him a tunic or a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. 
And then over the course of the next few verses where Brother Ben read just a few moments or so ago, it says time and again they hated him, they envied him. Three different times the word hate is used in the New King James Version. And one time the word used here in verse 11 is the word they envied him. So Joseph has a lot of things going on in his life that would cause him to get discouraged as a relatively young individual in service to the Lord. He was condemned for his dreams that were outlined in verses 5, 6, and 7 and following. And then if you go and read the rest of the chapter, chapter 37 through about verse 28, you see that he is sold by his brothers. Now, most of us who have brothers and sisters, who have siblings, uh, there may be times where we want to sell off one of those siblings. Uh, Or at the very least, you may not hate your sibling, but you get a little bit discouraged with your siblings. And I see some of you shaking heads. So I had four siblings, so there's five of us. And so we didn't always get along with one another. Now, they always got along with me because I'm easy to get along with. But the fact is, is sometimes we have those disagreements as brothers and sisters uh, in a familial sense. But we don't get to the place where we say, I'm ready to sell you off, I hate you, I envy you, and I'm really upset with you. Which brings us back to the title of our sermon, and that is Getting Up After Being Down. Joseph, in chapter 39, had lots of reasons to continue getting down, being discouraged, and just kind of looking up and saying, why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Why are these things transpiring in my life? And that is so applicable to the lives that we live, whether it be 2022 or whether it be thousands of years ago when Joseph was living. There are times where we might say, why are these things happening? Why is this financially happening in my life? Why physical challenges? are happening? Why do I have to deal with chronic pain? Why do I have to deal with a spiritual weakness? Why, do, why are there spiritual weaknesses in those around me that, that cause me to be discouraged? And all these different reasons why we might get discouraged, get down, and get a little bit disoriented in life. I wanted to just use chapter 39 as a practical way to outline Three things that we need to do or know or recognize in order to faithfully serve God and get off the mat and get back up and say, you know what? That wasn't pleasant, but I'm going to continue my faithful service to God. And the first of those things is we need to really, really, really trust God. I think everyone knows that it's right or correct academically to trust God. We know it's true that we have to trust our Lord and that we've got to put our faith in him. We've got to have faith in our Lord and say, you know what? He's going to see me through this. But let's face it, really trusting God can be a challenge. And that takes us to Genesis 39. We're not going to read, again, all the verses. We'll read maybe a dozen or so verses throughout the course of our study. But go back to verse 1, where it says, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And then if you like underlining things in your Bible, verse 2 starts with a very important phrase that should be key to all of us who ever get discouraged, where it says, the Lord was with Joseph. God never forgot Joseph. 
and you can be in the most drastic spiritual weakness of your life, God has not forgotten you. You can be dealing with a hospitalization for an illness that you think I don't deserve because I've got so much work to do physically and spiritually. The Lord is with you. You may be struggling financially, not because of some poor choice of your own, but just because of a setback in the economy. You say, I don't deserve this. The Lord is with you. The Lord was with Joseph, and it says he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Reminding himself, it seems to me, of this particular fact, is one thing that we need to remember in instrumental in keeping ourselves strong and in keeping himself strong. If you need to put on a post-it note and put it on the dash of your car, the Lord was with Joseph, or the Lord was with underline and then put in your name and put that on your dash as you drive to work or put that on your mirror as you get ready in the morning. And just remind yourself, the Lord was with Joseph. He never left Joseph. It reminds me of the story that I've told before of an older man who was riding in the car and in those bucket seats that used to exist, uh, or the, 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 the bench seats that used to exist, excuse me, where his wife was no longer sitting next to him and he's driving at the steering wheel and she says, honey, you, you no longer sit close to me. And he says, I didn't move as he's holding the steering wheel. You're the one that's moved further and further to the right. We are the ones who are sitting next to God. As the bumper sticker says, if God is your co-pilot, switch seats because that's the wrong way. Because God is the pilot, we are just sitting there for the ride and doing our very best to obey him and we trust him. We are to get as close to him as possible because it tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And furthermore, even after this new setback, Joseph continued to trust God. Drop down to verse 21. And again, I'm trusting that you're familiar with what happens here with Potiphar's wife and all of her different entreaties and all of the different occasions where she comes to Joseph. And drop down to verse 20 where it says, Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. And then it says, the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The fact of the matter is, is it says the Lord was with Joseph. And we sometimes forget about God when we get down. When you get discouraged, when you get disoriented, you say, I forget about God. It ought to be that the times where we are the most discouraged or the most distracted or the most disoriented or the most depressed, those ought to be the times where we say, I know that God is with me as he was with Joseph, and I will not fear. But instead, what do we do? And I'm as guilty of it as the next guy or girl. We get down and discouraged and disoriented and distracted, and we forget about our God, and we forget about the fact that he's there to help us through our difficulties. The Lord was with Joseph because God is the one at the steering wheel, and he never forgets about us. 
There is never a time where we could go to God and say, God, I'm here to speak to you. And he says, well, who are you? (laughs) No, he knows who we are. He knows us intimately. He knows us especially. And he never forgets about the people that we are in service to him. And the fact is, if we think about when it comes to trusting God, and if we work at trusting God, things will work out. Maybe not as splendidly as they did for Joseph, but certainly I think the account of what happened to Joseph in the final verses of the 39th chapter is really appropriate for understanding that God will provide for you and he will provide for me. Go back to verse 22. It says, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison, verse 23, did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. God showed mercy in allowing Joseph to quickly gain privileges. And in whatever he did, God made him prosper. And you know, a New Testament verse that came to mind as I was thinking about that subject is the powerful statement made in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, where where Paul writes in that very familiar chapter, and he talks about the fact that we are to trust in God, we are to do what the Lord has asked us to do. Going back to verse 18, the sufferings of this present world are not to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then he says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. By the way, in verse 28 of Romans chapter 8, if you want to draw a picture of yourself or at least write your name out to the side, he's talking about you. He's talking about us. We are called according to his purpose. Things work out for us. And it may be that they don't work out in this life. Each of us have known countless individuals who have been faithful to the Lord, not perfect, but faithful to the Lord, and their lives are riddled with physical pain or financial pain or spiritual pain based on the the loved ones around them that do not do what the Lord asks us to do, but yet they are strong, and they would not take it back for anything if you were to ask them, for they are faithful to the Lord because the Lord has been faithful to them. Which brings us into a second thing. We need to really trust God, work at trusting God. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And secondly, we must work to be spiritually developed. I'm going to be talking more about this kind of spiritual maturity a little bit later sometime this year, probably in the next three to five weeks. But I wanted us to at least breach the subject and talk about the idea of what it means to be spiritually developed. When a person grows, he or she is physically developed. We get taller, we get bigger, uh, we grow hair, and then we sometimes lose our hair, right? Those are things that happen as we grow as human beings. But being spiritually minded isn't something that comes without our efforts. We have to work at that spiritual development. Let me share with you just a couple of things here that I think Joseph really teaches us. And that is, first of all, we should strive or work at being trustworthy individuals. That is not something that happens overnight. 
We'll talk about integrity in just a moment, but the two seem to be married together very closely. Joseph was made overseer of Potiphar's house. Why was that the case? We'll go back to verses 3 and 4 here. It says, his master saw that the Lord was with him. By the way, if you want to go back later this week and underline every time it talks about with him in Joseph, you'll find that it's more than just once or twice. But it says, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. He made him overseer of his house and all that he had to be put under his authority was put under his authority. That says something. If you have that kind of authority, if people trust you that much, let me, let me give you a, a real uh, picture of that. We, we are privileged to have a number of deacons here, uh, a dozen of them, and some of them are more acutely aware of the church's financial situation than others. In fact, we have a treasurer and we have another treasurer who pay our bills and take care of that, and they do that without any thanks. And I've talked with some, uh, so we're thanking them now, uh, but uh, I've talked with some treasurers of churches, especially where you have more than just three or four or five people. And the work that goes into that and filing the necessary paperwork to satisfy the state and make sure that everything is taken care of is more than just once a year. It is something that takes time and takes effort. So we appreciate especially Lee and Dan and the work that they do and maybe others behind the scenes that I'm not even aware of. But they are trustworthy individuals. As they count the money and deposit it as it goes from here to the bank, are any of us concerned about that money going to the wrong place? I'm not really concerned about it, to be perfectly honest with you, because these are individuals who have proved themselves by their reputations to be men of trustworthiness. That must have been true with Joseph. If we are going to get up after having been down, we've got to work at being spiritually developed. And that means being trustworthy individuals. And because of his trustworthiness, everyone was made better. Look at verse 5. It says, so it was from that time that he made him overseer of the house, all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. He left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. There's something about Joseph that goes beyond just his handsomeness, but it's his integrity, as we'll talk about in just a second, but it is his trustworthiness. We need to be trustworthy as well and develop that kind of reputation. When you think about spiritual development, you cannot help but think about the idea of integrity as well. When you think about integrity, sometimes we think about a physical structure, the integrity of the building. You know, especially in Southern California or even in all of California, that integrity of buildings is very important because of the prevalence of earthquakes. And so it's the idea of something that is firm, strong, and I appreciate the solid rock that we sang about that Carrie led us in in singing a few moments ago. But by definition, to be a man or a woman of integrity is someone who appreciates values and has a firm adherence to those values, things that we hold dear and things that are important to us. And Joseph, I think we can all agree, was a man who respected values. 
you see that throughout not only chapter 39, but going back to chapter 37 as well. But in chapter 39, you see an individual here who says, this is right and this is wrong. I'm going to do what is right. I'm not going to do what is wrong. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it does to me. I will do what is right because I am a man of integrity. And he did so in a very humble uh, way. Joseph was a man who respected values and was respected because of those values. And even though no one, and I put that in quotes, would have known of his actions, Joseph said, I can't do wrong. Look, if you would, at verses 7, 8, and 9. It came to pass after these things, and his master's wife cast longing eyes at Joseph. She said, lie with me. But he refused, and he says, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? And then I love the terminology in verse 9 where he says, how can I do this wickedness and sin against God? Now, he could have said, I I would be sinning against my boss. That's true as well. But the ultimate objective in the life of a man or a woman of integrity is that we do what the Lord wants and we do not disobey the Lord. Now, we don't want to hurt others, but ultimately we are out to serve our God and to please him in the way that we live. Integrity isn't about doing right when it's convenient or when others are watching. You know, you and I are very likely, and when I say you and I, I'm talking about as human beings, not just as Christians, but we will do what is right and say what is right and act appropriately when those who are around us who hold us accountable witness our actions or our words. And so we don't struggle with particular temptations when we are at church services in the assembly because we are around people who are going to hold us accountable. But the fact is, is our spiritual development involves doing right at all times, not just when it's convenient, nor when others aren't watching or are watching. So it brings us then to this third thing, trustworthiness, integrity, And along with that, this desire and willingness and absolute essentialness of I will flee sin no matter what it's cost to me. No matter what it does, I'm dedicating myself to fleeing sin. As you look in the text here, it says that Joseph found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not of his doing. In fact, If you read between the lines of Genesis 39, it seems to me that Joseph was probably doing everything he could to avoid the wrong place at the wrong time. But here was the perfect storm. So drop down to about verse 10. It says, it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he didn't heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. That verse 12, she caught him by his garment, and she said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Many scriptures will teach us, both in the Old and in the New Testaments, 
that it is necessary to avoid sin at all costs and sometimes in circumstances that are difficult. Let me share with you just three real quick passages in the New Testament that you are probably already thinking of. The first of those is 1 Timothy chapter 6, and the other will be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 in James chapter 4. But Paul here is writing to, uh, appropriately, a younger individual, uh, and he says here in verse 11 of chapter 6, he says, flee these things. The things that are of the world, worldliness, the love of money, love of riches. He says, you flee these things, but instead I want you to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and gentleness. Then maybe a page over in your Bibles in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And in his very brief yet powerful letter, James chapter 4 and verse 7 records these words of the Holy Spirit. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. On and on and on the passages go that talk about the importance of saying, I will do what is right. I will not involve myself in wrong, and I will flee that. I will run away from that opportunity to otherwise engage in unrighteousness. So when you think about service to God and getting up after being down, we have to really trust God. We have to work at our spiritual development, and then we have to recognize and be okay with the fact. When I say okay, I'll put that in quotes because we're never okay with it. But we have to recognize that others will target us. Others will try to take you back down. It's the kind of thing that when you get up and you dust yourself off and you say, whew, that was a tough fight, but I I was able to make it. God says, I will be there for you, but be ready because Satan's going to come right back and try to knock you down again. And we cannot let that happen. Jesus, in in effect, uh, promised us that we would actually be hated because of our allegiance to him. And he uses that word, it seems to me, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, purposely to get the message across that service to God is an expensive thing. We have to give up everything. In fact, as Brother Phil read from Philippians chapter 2, that was the pattern that our Savior followed when he gave up everything And he emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When you go back to Potiphar's wife, she was livid, and she showed here little restraint. Go back to verse 14. and Let's go back to verse 13. So it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, verse 14 of chapter 39, It says, she called to the men of her house and spoke to them and said, see, look here. He has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. And he came in to me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And so it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. This is a he said, she said situation. And we know who's going to win this battle because of the culture and because of the way that it's set up and because of the context, Joseph is in trouble. 
except Joseph knows that the Lord is with me. She actually puts the blame, did you notice, on her husband. My husband has made a bad decision in verse 14, has brought this Hebrew in to mock us. Joseph is an inferior foreigner. He's tried to violate me, verse 16. So she kept his garment with her until the master came home. Verse 17, she spoke to him and said, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. We need to know that others will target us. And what is Potiphar's reaction? Are we, we, you don't even have to read the next couple of verses before you already have said, yep, I know how Potiphar is going to react to this. But Potiphar's reaction was really no surprise at all because he reacted like any average human being, any human male, any human husband. His anger was aroused. In fact, in verse 19, so it was when his master heard the words, his wife had spoken. He says, your servant did to me after this matter. His anger was aroused. And what does he do to Joseph? Verse 20, he imprisons him. We might look at that as the AT&T commercial that's recently come out and just say, that's not fair. It's not fair. Are there things that happen in your life, spiritually speaking, where you say, that's not fair, that I've been treated this way, that they said that about me, that I didn't get the job promotion because I didn't drink with the guys. Are there things that happen in our lives that are unfair because of our spiritual choices to do right? Probably so. There are things that happen in life, and you say, that just wasn't that fair. But we have a spiritual perspective that says, but before I get caught up in a pity party about myself, God will provide, Jehovah Jireh, and the Lord is with me. After all, look in the mirror, look on your dashboard, and you'll find that statement that says, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was targeted because he had done something right. And that had to be frustrating. That had to be so frustrating. You know, it's one thing when you pay a penalty for doing what is wrong. You say, well, I don't like it, but I deserved it. Wasn't that what one of the thieves said there in Luke chapter 23, hanging next to Jesus? He says, we are here because of our own deeds. We deserve to be. I don't like it that I'm hanging on a cross, but I'm here because that's what the law said. And I knew that before I robbed that man or, or whatever the case may have been. But it's another thing that it is frustrating when we are punished by the world because of our allegiance to God. And what could we do? The natural, humanistic, man-made or woman-made thing to do is to give up, throw up our hands and say, I'm done with this service to God stuff. And there are people that are no longer with us in this assembly and people that we know and have known in years past who gave up because of that kind of treatment. But Joseph didn't allow it to stop him. Indeed, Joseph got down, and he was beat down. 
But every time he did, he got back up. It reminds me of a 90s song that talks about getting knocked down but getting back up again. Some of you may know that particular song, and I see a few of you nodding your heads, those of us that grew up in the, in the late 90s. There's mixed messages in that song, but the idea is, is when you get knocked down, get back up. When someone is mean to you, say, you know what? That's okay. That's your, bless your heart moment for them. But the fact of the matter is, is he wasn't about to let the fact that others targeted him unfairly to discourage or dissuade him. He said, I'm not going to do that. And Joseph was a man of character, a man of integrity, of trustworthiness. He was dedicated to his spiritual development, and he never stopped trusting God. You know, if we do those things, it won't make life a whole lot easier, but it will make life more manageable. And that's what I wanted to present to you today. A message that goes back thousands of years to a man whom we believed lived and had significant challenges, but yet was willing to face those challenges head on. And life, as we sometimes say, is filled with lots of those challenges, physically, mentally, financially, and spiritually. But we trust our God, and we trust that he will provide If you are here this morning, if anybody is here, if you're here listening, or if you're you're not here and you're listening, I should say, and you're unable to say, you know what, I'm getting back up off the mat, we want to help you in that process by remembering the need to trust God, work on spiritual development, and recognizing that even though others will target and otherwise try to harm us, God will provide. If you're not a Christian, you don't have the wherewithal, the spiritual armor that even Paul would talk about to withstand all the different things that come in this life that otherwise challenge us and harm us or at least try to harm us. And we're hoping that you'll become a Christian this morning or maybe you want to study some more on that subject and you say, I'm ready to commit myself to that study. We are ready to study with you. And if we can help you to grow as a Christian to make corrections in your life where you need to uh, refocus your allegiance on Jesus the Christ. Let us help you, if we can, to get back up and not be down. If we can help, let us know while we stand and while we sing.